And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's uh, Monday again. Once we uh, start to kick off the middle of July, getting into earnings season. That starts in full swing today. TikTok is now banning all kinds of financial and investment advice off of their platform. Now, this is interesting. And the reasoning is, is that they feel like in the, you, know, you know, young individuals that are using TikTok may be getting bad information, you think? So, could be the fact that there's people out there touting all kinds of crazy things on the, on the internet, right? So, it's all true, because it's on the internet. But anyway, TikTok making a very interesting move here. We're gonna talk about that this morning. Uh, for all the young people that are voting for communism and socialism in America, might want to turn on the news and watch what's happening in Cuba as thousands of people are protesting against communism. Yeah, does it really work out all that well for people? And take a look at the, you know, the past several decades of Cuban existence for the average person. Hey, if you're, if you're in government, you're rich, you're doing well. If you're not, you're not. Uh, so uh, if you if you have a big belief in communism and that, think that's the, the path that we want to go on in America, well, you know, you might want to check that out a bit. Um, other news out today, of course, also the government is now gearing up to send people door to door to get you vaccinated. They're being taught right now to ignore the no solicitation signs. So we have this big no solicitation sign on our doorway with a gun that says beware of dogs. Uh, so <laughs> But they're being taught to ignore no solicitation signs and they're going to come door to door and talk to you about getting vaccinated. I have a solution. While you're doing that, register people to get a voter ID. Solves two problems with one stone. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, it's all about we can do amazing things as a government if we really want to. And if we really wanted to get people registered to vote, here's your time to do it. I mean, you're already gearing people up to go out. Just send the form out with them. It's all good. Hey, I'm here. Did you get a vaccine? Yes, good. Are you registered to vote? No, here. Here's your form, right? So just right there, there in the you spot. There you go being logical I again. know. Logic is just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Speaking of logic, and we, like I said, we are going to get into earnings season here, of course. That kicks off this week. All the major banks are going to start reporting. Uh, two things that are going to go on. First, we're going to see some decent earnings, uh, of course, because, you know, last quarter we had a lot of stimulus coming in from the, from, uh, the government, of course, a $1,400 check. So that's going to help earnings. Also, you've got very, very easy year-over-year comparison. Second quarter of last year was where we shut the economy down. Very sharp drop-off in earnings. So the year-over-year comparison now is going to be very good. Gross profit margins are going to be very good because we sent everybody to work from home. That helped increase profit margins for companies. So again, this is going to be a very, very strong quarter for earnings, and it's going to need to be to support valuations. Again, we've got the market trading at more than uh, almost two and a half times the state of the economy. Uh, that is the highest valuation ever on a market cap to GDP ratio. So, so again, Get, and why is that important? Obviously, is because, well, the economy is where your earnings come from, right? I mean, it's you and me going out, we're buying stuff, doing stuff, creating revenue for companies. And so 
if the economy is only growing at one, you know, at, at one times earnings and you've got the market growing at two and a half times that, there's obviously a deviation here in valuations. Again, earnings and economic growth and capital appreciation have a very close correlation to each other over the very long term period. And we're very extended and very exacerbated over on, on valuations relative to what the economy can actually produce. So, again, it's going to be a very easy quarter. Next quarter, not so much. Now, beginning in the, the third and fourth quarters of this year, these year over year comparisons get much tougher. And that's really going to become problematic once we get into 2022. So, again, just saying that. Nonetheless, though, on Friday, the market did rally here. We did get to new all time highs, bounced right off the 20 day moving average. Money flow indicators are still positive here at this point. Now, a couple of notes uh, of concern here, at least in the short term, is the markets are very extended and very, getting back to very, very overbought levels. And we've talked about this before. We've got a decent extension right now above the 50-day moving average, a very big extension above the 200-day moving average. In fact, it's been a very long time now that we've had a test of the 200-day, much less a 5% correction in the market. So there's a lot of reasons here, again, as we've talked about here over the last week or so, we're in the we're kind of in a seasonally strong period of time. The first two weeks of July tend to be very positive for markets. July tends to be a better performing month. August, September, not so much. And again, as we take a look at this, money flow indicators are starting to get weak here. They're very overbought, very extended. And the last time that we had this type of, of sell signal with very high levels of money flows was back in April and May. And again, it just it, the market kind of stalled stalled around here for a good bit, right above the. 20-day moving average, then eventually had a nice correction uh, at the beginning of May. So again, just because you haven't gotten the correction yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And again, we've got kind of all the setup for it right now. And really the same, we see the same exact type of setup on the NASDAQ. And again, this is where really the money's been, been flowing to as of late. And we've talked about the fact that uh, previously when the NASDAQ was lagging the S&P, we said, look for this growth out of this reflation trade back into the growth trade. Uh, that's actually been the case here. The NASDAQ did not set a new high on Friday. And that's kind of interesting here and is, and is actually in the process of triggering its sell signal. So what does that mean? Well, we may see a temporary rotation out of NASDAQ stocks, uh, kind of the main big flyers, uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, etc., back into some of the other areas of the markets, kind of a rotation out of that growth trade. It's very extended, very overbought here, so it wouldn't be a surprise. That was also exactly what we saw happen back in April and May at the same time where we had this kind of this stagnation in the S&P, and then you had a bigger correction that came a couple of weeks later so it looks very similar to the same type of setup not saying that we're going to ha not have a correction we're going to have one the question is is how far out does it get pushed and it looks like maybe you know a couple of two to three weeks before we actually start to see a more corrective attitude in the market so i get that buys you a little time here to try to go through your portfolio, um, re kind of rebalance risk and, and reconstruct your allocation to give you some downside protection. Again, no big real concern here. We're not gonna have a big crash at this point. There's too much liquidity in the system, too much optimism. But again, those are kind of precursors also that eventually lead to a bigger correction. And the problem for investors is always the same, which is distinguishing the difference between a three or a 5% correction and a 10 or 
20% correction. And the problem is you won't realize that until you're actually in the middle of it. So, you know, very much like carrying an umbrella, you know, you carry an umbrella in case it rains. It's not, you know, it's not very useful to get the umbrella after it rains. And that's, that's really kind of where you want to be thinking about your portfolio right now. Again, no reason to make big changes, no reason to make drastic changes to your portfolio, but this is a good time to start looking at things that are really overbought, very extended, um, and, and start to kind of rebalance some of that risk accordingly. Just kind of bring in some profits, things that aren't performing well on the way up, things that have lagged the market on the way up, so are probably going to lead the market on the way back down again. They're weak to begin with. Good time to pull those weeds, uh, do a little bit of, of uh, kind of pruning of the garden, so to speak and kind of set up here for a little bit more of a rainy season over the next couple of months. So when we come back from the break, um, we'll talk a little bit about what TikTok is doing, why it's important, and uh, also what that means to young investors and what it may mean to the TikTok platform itself. So more of that coming up right after the break. I'm your host, Nance Roberts. Don't go away. to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. So uh, as we open up the show this morning, talking a little bit about TikTok, kind of making an interesting move. They're banning cryptocurrency and financial services promotion content from its platform. Now, this is an interesting move that TikTok is making because as we wrote about uh, recently, if there's a couple articles on our website, you know, one's called Blind Leading the Blind, and we've got a couple others that we've written talking about where young investors are getting their information from, right? So if you want to invest in the markets, where are you getting your information from? Well, primarily it's YouTube and TikTok. And again, this is where, you know, it has become a platform for very young individuals to put out their kind of their promotional ideas, et cetera. In fact, there was a um, example of a young guy that joined TikTok he had invested um, some money in cryptocurrency early this year in 2021, and he tweeted. He started, you know, commenting on TikTok about how much money he made with his investment, and he says, "Look, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just put money in this cryptocurrency, and it went up, and I made all this money." And 
like in two days, he had over 100,000 followers, right? People following this guy. And he, he's, he's claiming, he said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just put money in this and it went up. That's, <laughs> that's his whole platform. And so, you know, a lot of young investors, though, that's where they're getting They're not doing really research. They're just finding people on, you know, TikTok or YouTube that, that claim to be doing very well. You know, they show off their Lamborghinis or their, you know, their big houses or whatever they have. And of course, there's no verification if that's even their stuff. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's easy to rent a car, easy to rent a house, right? You got Airbnb. So go Airbnb, a house that's uh, a mansion for a weekend, spend a couple of grand, and, uh, you know, there you go. Um, and again, I'm not saying that everybody, obviously, on YouTube or TikTok or anybody else is, is, not valid. I'm just saying that there's a lot of very inexperienced people on these platforms that have never actually been through a bear market. They've never seen one. We haven't had a bear market in <clears throat> over 12 years now. So the problem is, you know, as always, is when you get very long into a bull market cycle like we've been in now, um, people tend to forget about the damage and devastation that occurs when you have a mean reverting situation. And the belief is now, of course, that can't happen because of the Federal Reserve, right? We've got this guaranteed put. The Federal Reserve is not going to let the stock market go down and everything's going to be fine. So just keep buying stocks. And so, you know, people have now accelerated that to very speculative investments. So they're taking on a tremendous amount of risk, playing the most high risk type of investments, and again, nothing wrong with that at this point because everything's working. The most fundamentally poor companies are outperforming fundamentally sound companies. So, you know, we're not investing. We're gambling. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you realize what you're doing. The problem is that a lot of people, of course, getting their information off the internet have no idea what they're doing and they're assuming that these individuals know what they're doing, so they've got a lot of followers, so they must know what they're doing, right? It's kind of this um, this this kind of media-driven state of guruism that if they have a lot of followers, they must be smart investors. That's not the case. Some of the smartest investors I know aren't even on the internet. Why? Because they're sitting at home managing their own money and they're doing very well with it and they're not out making videos, right? So just because somebody has a lot of followers doesn't mean that they actually know what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I mean, you know, it's just this market's very confounding. And again, trying to be a fundamental investor in this type of environment is very, very difficult because fundamentals really don't have much of a role right now because of the speculative sentiment in the markets. That's why, you know, when we talk about the markets in the morning and in, in the opening show or in our three minutes on markets a minute, uh, three minutes on markets of money, I'll spit that out. Um, you know, those all kind of really focus around technical indicators. What, what's, what are people doing? Where is money flowing to? Is it positive or is it negative? Because in an environment where valuations really don't matter, which is where we are now, that's the only thing you can rely on is a little bit of technical analysis. You can't even really rely on that that much, right? But it's the best tool that you have at the moment. Your other option is just to simply buy stuff and just keep hoping that it goes up. And that's what most people are doing. So it is interesting that TikTok is is taking this, this approach and 
and it's also going to be interesting from the standpoint that they have a lot of followers on TikTok that are on TikTok for what they call FinTok, right? Uh, which is this finance TikTok. So we'll see if it starts to shave off some of their some of their users that go to other platforms like YouTube, et cetera, where they can get their information. But so now they're so TikTok is is banning financial services, pyramid schemes, and cryptocurrencies from its platforms. The move comes after users were warned against taking financial advice from TikTok videos over concerns it could be misleading, particularly for younger savers. This was according to Yahoo News. Financial services and products were added to TikTok's globally prohibited industries list alongside lending and management of money assets, loans and credit cards, buy now, pay later services, trading platforms, cryptocurrency, foreign exchange, debit and prepayment cards, forex trading and pyramid schemes, according to the report. So, the, so this is, you know, really kind of interesting because, he, you know, and, and I guess in a way, I kind of applaud TikTok for this. You know, they're taking a, a they're taking a stance here with their users saying, look, we're going to try to limit misleading and false information that may lead you to making bad financial decisions with your money. Now, is banning all financial services and, and cryptocurrency reports and all that, is, is that an entirely just a, a good thing? I mean, because you're taking off, there's also legitimate people on TikTok and YouTube and others that provide good information. Well, the problem is, is there's a lot more bad than there is good. So... You know, it's it's one of those things where they've taken a stance. And, and again, given the state of young investors, it's probably a good thing. I really don't see a lot of downside to this. One, we're teaching an entire generation how to gamble, which doesn't turn out well. We're not really teaching people how to invest long term. We're teaching them how to gamble and speculate short term, how to make wealth quick, how to get rich quick. Right. How, you want to you want to drive a Lamborghini like mine? This is what you've got to do. So we're not really teaching the basics and fundamentals of long-term investing. People really don't want to know that. They want to know how to get rich quick, right? Um, you know, if you want 100,000 followers on YouTube, you do trading videos that show you how to get rich quick, right? You'll have 100,000 followers really fast on YouTube because that's what people want. That's what, the, that's what the craving is. People want to be rich quick, but they don't want to do the work about it. You know, getting rich slow is so boring, <laughs> but it's what works, right? What works is getting rich slow. What doesn't work is trying to get rich quick. Never does. And people that have made a lot of money will wind up losing most or all of it. Happens every time. Social media, uh, sorry, Anthony Morrow, the co-founder of financial advice service Open Money, said that the real proof of TikTok's commitment to cleaning up its act will be how it enforces a policy to ensure that banned content is identified and removed quickly. We know that social media influencers are fueling demand for day trading and unregulated investments like cryptocurrencies by taking up the potential returns without explaining the risk involved. 
Now, the move is meaningful for TikTok in terms of content views. Posts labeled Bitcoin have received 4.4 billion views, and those labeled cryptocurrency have received 1.5 billion views. The report says that the investment hashtag has received 790 million views, and the hashtag stocks to buy has received 447 million views. So, Again, going back to this, TikTok is making a decision that could potentially limit viewership. But, you know, again, people just they're browsing TikTok are just going to browse other stuff as well. So I'm not sure it's going to actually impact their user base that much. But it may drive people to some other platforms like YouTube where they can still get that information that they're looking for. So, you know, Internet. Etc. So, but again, you know, I think when we come back and, and we look at this long term, and one of the things that we'll see after the next bear market, and this is what we saw back in 1999. And again, well, you know, what's happening with TikTok, by the way, is not new. What's happening with Reddit is not new, right? Uh, we've seen these periods of time. In fact, we saw this back in 1999, this exact same type of behavior, you know, young people running around telling, you know, Telling people how boomers don't understand what they're doing, i.e., you know, i.e., Warren Buffett. Um, this is a new market. Uh, you know, old investors don't understand it. It's different this time. You know, we've seen all this before, and that attitude, that speculative attitude, doesn't work out well. But again, this time does seem to be different, right? It, no matter how you kind of look at it, this time seems to be different. It seemed different back then, too, but this time seems to be different also. Problem is, is it's not different. You know, the outcome will eventually be the same. It's just what breaks to cause that outcome. And I don't know what that is, right? Nobody does. We're, we, we are confident that the Federal Reserve can stop bear markets. But we really don't know that. We've just not had the experience yet of that occurring. And so if we wind up in a major bear market that the Fed can't fix because they're already at zero interest rates, they can't, you know, then they can only do so much QE. There's only so many bonds to buy. At some point, we may say, hey, you know what? They can't fix it this time. I know it's a hard concept to think about, but I'm just saying it's possible. Because this time really never is different. Whenever something finally breaks that causes the bear market, we'll go, oh, yeah, well, that makes complete sense. Should have seen that coming. It'll just be too late after that. Be right back after the break. Well, come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
and welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, as we get this uh, Monday underway here of a brand new week. Like I was saying earlier, we have earnings coming out this week. So again, we're about to kick off earnings season, and this is going to be, you know, kind of the, the test for the markets. You know, have earnings all been priced in to expectations, and really what is the outlook for these companies over the course of the next, you know, several months? Now, one thing that's going to be that we've talked about before, um, but it's going to become much more relevant here over the next couple of months, is the next kind of spate of government assistance. So there's currently this 1.2, and this is an article I have out on the website this morning talking about infrastructure itself and saying that you know infrastructure could be a good thing. Unfortunately, it won't be because of the way that we fund it and the way that we do infrastructure. We're no longer making productive investments. But, you know, currently there's this $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill on, on the table. Don't It's supposed to pass around July the 19th, somewhere around there. It won't. I have a, I have a strong suspicion it's not going to, to pass. And the reason is, is that the Democrats don't want to waste their political capital on this $1.2 trillion bill when they would rather do the $4 trillion to $6 trillion spending package in September. So if they can just hang out for a couple of months, then they can pass this American Families Plan that Biden wants to pass, which will be an additional tag on top of the already 4 to $5 trillion worth of just regular government spending we have. So we're talking about a huge, huge continuing resolution coming in September. And a couple of reasons for that is, first of all, you've got your debt ceiling coming up. So the government is limited in the amount of debt that it can issue here um, very shortly. The Federal Reserve is running out of bonds to buy because the Treasury's been draining down their cash. So that puts the Fed in a little bit of a bind. They need more debt issuance. So the Democrats are much are going to be much more keen to try to wait this thing out and try to pass this entire package. In fact, Nancy Pelosi, you know, just last week saying that she's not really interested in passing the infrastructure bill unless it has all the other social programs attached to it. So in other words, it's got to have the other part of the bill with it, which is the Paid Family Leave Act, the extended uh, household credits for child care, all that stuff, right? It's all got to be in there. So we're talking about potentially passing a bill in September, October, a continuing resolution that is going to be north of $6 trillion, could be closer to eight by the time it's all said and done. It's a massive amount of money. We're, we're pushing $29 trillion in debt right now, so we're talking about a big increase in the amount of debt. But the goal here is to get more money to households, Right. Democrats like this idea, the chicken in every pot, and they're hoping that they're going to be able to buy votes with it come the midterm elections. Hey, don't forget who sent you all this money that you're getting right now, so vote for us in midterms. And then you've got the presidential election coming up in 2024, and so they're going to be reminding you again that all this money that you're getting is because of the bills they passed. And they're going to have to pass it on their own, and this is going to be the real trick coming up in September, which is in order to pass this six, seven, eight trillion dollar spending bill, 
because we don't and, and again if if you're not following here entirely the reason that we have to pass continuing resolutions because we no longer do a budget we used to actually prior to 2008 believe it or not it's been that long we used to actually pass budgets the house would come up with a budget the senate would come up with a budget they would reconcile the budget and then we would pass it and that was the budget that we used to fund the government since 2008, when Barack Obama took office, we gave up doing budgets because we were fighting over debt ceilings or whatever it was. So we started doing what was called continuing resolutions, which simply is, here's the spending from last year, plus 8%, plus whatever else we want to put on there. And the reason is, is that then they can then go through what's called reconciliation with the Senate. And so they pass this continued resolution in the House. It goes to the Senate. They reconcile it and they pass it and they move on. And so this is why our debt's increasing so fast because we're not actually running a budget. All we're doing is saying, OK, we spent $4 trillion last year. Let's increase that by 8% for this year plus whatever else we want to stick on it. And the point of doing reconciliation is that instead of going through the budget voting process, right? They go through reconciliation. All they need is a majority vote in the Senate, which they can do because they control 50 seats in the Senate plus the vice presidency. So that's your 51 votes that gets the continuing resolution passed. Okay. And this is a race. There's a very high probability that they're going to lose two to three seats in the Senate come the elections next year which then once you lose control of one house, all this, all this excess spending has become much more complicated. So this is why it's a race to try to do all this spending and all these social reforms, um, you know, expanding tax credits for EVs and all this stuff that they want to do. It's important to try to get that done now because if they lose control of the House or the Senate, and, and there is a real risk they could lose both houses in the midterm elections, they want to get this done now. The hang-up is going to be Joe Manchin. And they're going to have to promise him a lot. I don't know what it's going to be that they'll promise him, but in order to get him to go along with voting for this American Rescue Plan, because he's already said that he's against some of these other programs, and he could be he's the linchpin, right? So they've got to get Joe Manchin turned in order to vote for this massive spending bill that's coming up this, this uh, in September. So, again, the point about all this, and again, this is kind of the point of the article today, is that, you know, if you take a look at, you know, kind of what the proposal is, and again, when you start going through, you know, where all the spending is, this American kind of families rescue plan, you know, a lot of it is investing in home and community-based care for seniors with disabilities, improved benefits and working conditions for healthcare workers. Um, you know, infrastructure makes up a very, very small, actual true infrastructure makes up only five to 6% of it. What they're considering infrastructure, a lot of that is non-productive investments. And again, the very definition of infrastructure is a productive investment. It's an investment that pays for itself. So if you want to build productive investments, you build nuclear power plants, geothermal plants, hydroelectric plants, you know, that, that have user fees that are attached to them, taxes, et cetera, that wind up paying for the debt that you use to build those projects, right? So that's true infrastructure. Everything else you do 
when you're talking about clean energy and reducing emissions, investing more in science and technology workforces, those are non-productive investments. Those should be left to the private community, right? The private sector. They will do that job. If there's a need for it, they will do it. You don't need to do it as a government. And that's why really the only two jobs that the government has inside the Constitution are simply national security and infrastructure. Roads, bridges, highways, making sure that you can transport goods and services and making sure the country's defended. That's really the total total role of the government, according to the Constitution. Everything else that we stuck in there, education, health care, all this is really belongs to the states. It's really their jobs. But the government, you know, voters keep wanting more and more government to have more and more control over society. There's a really great show on Netflix right now, by the way, about dictators. Um, if you get a chance to watch it, you know, it actually goes through talking about how these countries subjugated themselves to a single individual. Because why? All the individual had to say was, you have a problem. I can fix it if you elect me. And before they renew it, they were in the trap. And that's how communism and socialism work. And we're slowly subjugating ourselves to bigger and bigger government. Why? Because the government keeps showing up and says, you have a problem. I can fix it. And we say, okay, you can fix it. Here, you go do it. And we keep realizing that we're giving up more and more of our rights and our freedoms in order to have the government fix our problems that we should be fixing ourselves. But this is how we keep winding up in these positions. So anyway, the point of the article today is really when we get down to it and you start looking at the amount of debt that we're currently spending relative to the economy and we start talking about the uh, the amount of, of increase in that debt service and the fact that the money that we're spending is not a productive investment. It does not provide for a payment for itself. It doesn't pay itself off over time. This leads us to slower rates of economic growth in the future, less prosperity, more demands for socialism. That's how you get into this trap. And, and we're doing exactly what Japan has done numerous times in the past. And when we start talking about the issue and, and comparisons, people go, well, Japan's different, right? Japan's is a different country and they're small. And there's a lot more similarities between us and Japan than you actually think that there are. They have an aging demographic. They have a, a massively underfunded pension system. They have a, a tremendous amount of, you know, kind of economic interference by their central banks and by their government. You know, there's a lot more similarities about a country that's one third of the size of the U.S. is doing a stimulus program that's twice the size of what we're doing in the U.S. And they're running 250% of debt to GDP, which is where the U.S. will be in the next 10 to 15 years. So if you want a, a kind of a, a look at a country that is a microcosm of where the U.S. is headed, simply look at Japan. Be right back after the break. Don't go away. Riding down the wall Very superstitious Let it fight and fall Yeah. 
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. Small businesses are discovering that attracting and retaining top talent come down to more than just salary. In today's highly competitive job market, compensation is more than just wages. Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Healthcare and retirement plans can make the difference in hiring and retaining the best employees. We can show you how to build an affordable, effective employment package that delivers true value for your workers and your business. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. A passive investment portfolio requires active risk management management. It's not a choice, it's necessity. Diversification doesn't protect against risk of loss. Let us actively help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. A modern day warrior and welcome back to the show this morning, 647, of course, as we get this Monday underway. Let's get to a couple of your comments and questions. If you're watching our stream on our YouTube channel live right now, you can always join into our chat box and ask questions and comments. We'll always kind of try to answer them at the end of the show for you. Um, I'll usually have some good questions anyway, so we'll certainly talk about it. But if you're not following, if you're in your car right now and not following our live stream, that's okay. You can always go to our website and watch our show after the fact. We always produce a fully edited version after the fact, so you can watch the live video of the show, see the charts, whatever we're doing. Um, you can also email us directly off the website at realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions. I answer those every day as well. And we're very excited. We have a whole new website coming up here very shortly with all kinds of new stuff on it. So we're going to make your life a whole lot easier here very shortly. So we're very excited about the new uh, the new layout and the new look in particular. We have new logos, new everything. So it's going to be, be pretty cool. Um Got a question here. A bear market is certainly possible, um, but the Fed has now, I believe, the ability to buy equities in case the markets crash, same way as the BOJ does. Okay, technically, no. And let me explain why you're right and you're wrong, right? So let's technically, legally, let's talk about what the Fed has the capability to do. According to the Congressional Charter for the Federal Reserve, they can only buy assets that are guaranteed or backed by the U.S. government. So that that relates to things like 
Ginny Mae mortgages. Not Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny Mae. That's why when you see them buying mortgage bonds, they're buying government national mortgage association bonds because those have an implicit guarantee by the government. The others, treasury bills and bonds, notes, right? They can buy those. So the Fed can buy bonds. They stretch that charter illegally in March of 2020 by buying junk bond ETFs. And they've worked a loophole with BlackRock to make that happen. Now, it was illegal. They shouldn't have done it, but they did it. So let me tell you, so this is where you're right and you're wrong. So technically you're wrong because no, according to their congressional charter, they cannot buy equities. Will they buy equities? Yes. That's where you're right. And they'll figure out a way to buy direct equities kind of in a roundabout manner, probably through BlackRock again. How they're going to do it, I'm not quite sure what the mechanism will be that they will call it to buy equities, but um, they will probably buy ETFs, equity ETFs at some point. And that will be a different story. Now, just because they buy equities doesn't necessarily mean the market goes up. You know, there's a certainly a correlation that can be made that if, you know, money's being put into the system, that equities are going to go up. And I'm not saying that they won't. I'm just saying it's not a guarantee. The Fed can be buying equities, and it depends, A, on the, the rate at which they're buying equities. And look, the Bank of Japan's been buying equities for a long time, and, and, and they regularly have fairly sharp corrections in the, in, the, in the Nikkei. So it doesn't mean that you can't have fairly significant corrections or even bear markets with the Fed buying equities. So I'm not saying that they can't. I'm not saying that it's a, a be-all, end-all solution. And here's the reason why is that, remember, we have a market right now that is really driven by a lack of liquidity. There's no sellers. So think about this for a moment. We, in order to make prices go up, you have to have a dearth of sellers. You know, you hear a lot of this story about, oh, there's so much money on the sidelines. It's a complete myth. There's always money out there. But when it comes into the market, there has to always be a buyer and a seller. So if buyers and sellers are equally matched, the price of the market doesn't move because everybody's willing to transact at the same price. So as long as everybody's willing to buy Apple at $100 a share, there's always a seller at 100 there's always a buyer at 100 the price of the stock would never move. So the, what makes prices move up and down is that there is a dearth of one side of the equation or the other. So if there's a lack of sellers, in other words, I don't want to sell my shares of Apple, but you come along and say, look, I'm going to give you an amazing price for it. Okay, I'll sell it, right? You know, I, I've been talking about here for a while that my wife doesn't want to sell our house because every time prices go up, I always sell our house and I tell her we have to move. And it's like, I take her out to dinner. I'm like, hey, honey, I have a surprise for you. She's, I'm, she's like, what? I said, I sold the house. <laughs> Can you go find us another one? You always do those things over dinner because they can't scream as much in a restaurant. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> so it gives it gives you a cool down period to get back to the house, right? 
So that's kinda, a long drive home, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it, it gets cool down period, right? The <laughs> nuclear explosion doesn't happen. You have to think these things through. So, but even now where house prices are, my wife said, look, if you can get X dollars for our house, I'll, I'll think about selling it. So everybody has a price, right? So if I offer you a tremendous amount of money for your shares, you'll sell them to me. Same way on the other side is that when prices are falling, there's more sellers than there are buyers and buyers are going, hey, yeah, I'll buy your shares from you, but they're going to be way down here. And so people go, okay, I'll sell it to you. So as the price continues to fall, they're like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell it to you for, I'm not going to sell my Apple at, at, at 80 bucks versus a hundred. And then it goes to 95, it goes to 90, it goes to 85. Okay, fine. I'll sell it to you. And they get sold at 80, right? Or 70 or 75 or wherever it goes to. So the important thing, and this is the key ingredient for the Federal Reserve, is that it's about psychology. I've got to keep the market engaged to a point that people believe that prices can only go higher. That's the whole premise behind QE. It's a psychological put for the markets. Oh, prices can't go down. Prices can only go up. And so there's a dearth of sellers because why am I going to sell? The market's just going to go up. I'm not going to sell. You have to offer me a really good price to sell my shares. And every day we do this, right? Every day the market's going to open here in an hour and a half and we're going to do this dance all over again. But every day we're going to do this. And buyers and sellers are going to get matched. And as long as there's a dearth of sellers, prices will go up. The problem becomes for the Fed is that there is an event, no matter what it is. And all of a sudden, sellers show up in mass. I'm out. That's the risk for the markets. When the sellers go, I'm out, there are no buyers. The buyers are way down there somewhere. They are 30% lower, 40% lower, 50% lower. So by the time the Fed engages into buying equities, the markets are going to be down 30, 40, 50% over the matter of a couple of weeks. By the way, if you don't remember March of 2020, it's exactly what happened. We were down 35% in three weeks before the Fed could get engaged. With market valuations and the market stretched even more than we were then, the risk of a 30, 40, 50% correction is very real. The, the only issue is, is what causes it. And it will happen so quickly because, again, there's no buyers here. The buyers are way down there somewhere. So what the Fed is depending on is what we call the paradox of stability. The Fed is depending that their actions can keep the market stable. In other words, what the markets are, what the Fed is betting on is that nobody's going to push that big red button and create instability. But here's the funny thing about this. The Fed trying to create stability actually creates instability. That's the paradox. All you need is the trigger. Yes, RV sales are going through the roof right now, along with pools, by the way. Pools, people are building pools as fast as they can build them right now. And what a lot of people are going to figure out is the same thing about all these people that ran out and bought houses. They sound, it sounds great to own a house until you realize how much maintenance is involved with owning a house. Pools are the same way. Owning a pool is great till you realize the cost of chlorine now. 
and how much your electric bill is about to go up. So, you know, these things all, but see, nobody tells you this when you're building a pool and they go, and by the way, yes, I'm building a pool, but I started it before COVID and it's still not finished, by the way, because we can't get any part, we can't get the concrete and the, and the stuff for it. Anyway, that's a, that's a, my wife's story. But the only, the only good news I have about the pool is, is yes, it's not built yet, but I got it really cheap because when I was building it, started when I contracted to build it, nobody was building pools then. So it was really cheap. Now it's costing about two and a half times the rate of what I paid to build the same pool. Right. But the point is, is that what people don't tell you, and I've owned multiple pools in my life in different houses is that nobody tells you about the cost, how much your electricity goes up, the cost of chlorine, the cost of maintenance. If you're going to do the maintenance yourself, you know, but if you're going to hire a pool company to do it, there's another cost. And so just like, you know, a lot of millennials are figuring out about home ownership. Home ownership is great. I love owning a house. Until you realize the maintenance, the upkeep, the homeowners association dues, the taxes, you know, all, all the other stuff that goes along with it. And if you're already on a stretched budget and you sit there and go, well, if we just add in a house payment to our budget of, say, $1,000 a month, we're only paying, you know, 900 in rent now. And so if we go to $1,100 on a house payment, we can still make that fit in our budget. Well, the problem is, is with an apartment, you don't have all the other nonsense <laughs> that you have with a house. Because when you buy that house, there's another four or five hundred bucks a month attached on top of that house. Homeowners insurance. Yeah, didn't have all that before. So just like building a pool, people are gonna figure out it's not cost effective. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for the calls. Wrapping up the show today, of course, as always. Uh, get by the website. Our latest article is out this morning talking about infrastructure could be good, it just won't be. And I go through all the reasoning why. It's on the website now, along with our latest newsletter up as well about the surge in the dollar and the drop in yields. What does it mean for markets and your money? It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.